Hello Innovators, I am back after six weeks summer break and moving from Spain to the Netherlands with my family. I'm back and set up in my new podcasting studio. So really looking forward to today's episode. I'm kicking off with an interview with Steve Hill. Steve Hill is a commercial director at Auticon UK, a unique multinational IT consultancy and social enterprise, which exclusively employs autistic adults as IT consultants. Previously, Steve was business strategy and development director within the predictive analytics and IoT sector of leading the strategy around intelligence fleet and intelligent operations as a part of the intelligence transport program. Over the last two decades, Steve has gained unique experience in global business processes and technology services and has developed his passion for technology-driven change and for customer experience transformation. Steve is highly motivated by life's give-backs and is currently publishing a series of books for children as part of his involvement in an international charitable foundation. In this episode, we talk, of course, his experience working with Formula One, how he learned innovating himself over the past decades, building his own business, going back to corporate. We, of course, talk about the specifics of Auticon. We dive into neurodiverse workforce, how he works with the autistic consultants and how corporates can benefit from working with them and dive really deep into that. And, of course, we talk about the kids' books and the philosophy around what he has built up. It's fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it and you might enjoy it too. So enjoy the episode with Steve Hill. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you again. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm also great. A little bit jet lagged, but that's 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 okay for, for today's podcast because it's six hours in the other direction. So feeling good right now. Looking forward, um, learning from you. Um, before we before we really go into different ways of working and different experiences on what you do for a profession and the company you work in, let's go a little bit into yourself first. Um, who are you and what is your story? How did you get to where you are today? So uh, a snapshot is that I spent uh, quite a few years, about 12, 13 years, running my own company. Um, and I loved being an entrepreneur. I always wanted to, to do something for myself. Um, and in the sector I was in, uh, I had a glass ceiling. So I did all the things that I set out to, to achieve, really. And so from that point, after having got over the fact my, my wife thought I was nuts, uh, wanting to do something slightly different, um, I went to work for IBM. So again, you couldn't get to... Uh, you, you couldn't get a bigger differentiation between a very, very small company and a, and a huge company that's over 100 years old. But but actually, I loved it. And I actually did a lot of work with IBM in my own business. So I, I thought I, I knew them really well, but um, turns out I didn't. <laughs> didn't know them as well as I thought, but, but in a good way. And I think, you know, coming into such a big environment, was that a big culture clash? No, not, not for me, because... Even though you're in a big company, you're still part of a small team and you're still effectively working with, with clients. So the parallels were, were huge for me. Really enjoyed it. We had lots and lots of cool stuff in the kit bag uh, where I was at the time. Um, and I just loved it from a tech 
innovation perspective. Uh, I spent some time at uh, Samsung after that, and uh, also a, a few years at McLaren on the Formula One side or the technology division of the Formula One side. So taking Formula One based technology and, and really taking that into other sectors and other markets. So if you think about um, if you think about a, a racing car, and I don't know if you're a Formula One fan at all, Jens, but if you think about a car and you think about the, the sensors that are on a car and the fidelity and trust that comes with the data that's captured, uh, the offboarding of that data at high speed, and then the visualization uh, and the augmentation simulation modeling of that data to inform a race. Well, if you think about that uh, in the context of a fleet of assets, that's effectively uh, the, the kind of role that I had which was great, just a, an amazing business, an amazing culture. Um, and that led me uh, in part to where I am at the moment in terms of Autocon. So I'm the commercial director at Autocon. So the, the common denominator being that we are a, an IT consulting business. Um, the difference being is that we're actually a social enterprise. And so we actually employ uh, consultants that are all autistic adults and we tend to specialize in, in all things data, data science, data engineering, uh, cybersecurity and, and software engineering. Fascinating. I need to dig a little deeper in a couple of things. So you have been in, in tech related business development topics. Um, you mentioned that, that your, your wife said it's not get, get another job or something like that. What was the trigger for her to to kind of nudge you into a different direction? Well, so it was more nudging myself into a different direction because, mm. you know, I think a, a, a lot of, um, there's a lot of preconceptions with that comes with having your own business in the sense that that's your destiny forever. Yeah. And I think, you know, when that, when, when you do, when you do that for quite a considerable period of time and you kind of hit those glass ceilings, it doesn't have to be forever. And so it was more of a case of, Okay, I've, I've, from a personal perspective, always thought of myself as, uh, in some ways, a purebred entrepreneur. But actually, does that mean that you have to always do things by yourself? Not really, because, you know, going into a large organization and with that entrepreneurial mindset, you, you turn into that intrapreneur without using cliches. But in fact, if it effectively, it's... I see that as a big strength, you know, and a big strength for, for businesses, people that have that slightly different perspective, um, that anything's possible. And okay, you might have more processes uh, and more hurdles in terms of bringing that larger organization on the journey with you, but that's the fun bit. Yeah. Then working with the Formula One, I'm, I have been a huge fan in the good old days with Michael Schumacher, of course. Um, and now move, freshly moved to, to the Netherlands, so I need to get back into it to, to be able to talk to the colleagues here on, on Verstappen and so on. But I haven't been following it too much the last, let's say, two, three, four years. How much, I mean, you, you have been working with technology in that field, but how much was there the human part and how much was it technology? It's a, it's a great question. And I, I wasn't a Formula One fan. Uh, before joining McLaren at, at all. Um, and I think I developed a really healthy respect and obviously understanding of what happens behind the scenes. I still wouldn't consider myself a Formula One expert, but I think from a technology point of view, what's great is that 
and something I didn't necessarily appreciate beforehand is that everyone is on a very level playing field when it comes to uh, the rules and the regulations around the car and the design and the safety aspects and, and everything to do with the actual car. Where, where it really starts to differ is that intersection between the driver and the technology that actually propels the car, not physically, but actually the strategy that can propel the race in favour of that particular team and indeed that driver. So the understanding of the people within uh, within um, mission control and the pit lane and how that synchronizes to actually turn that data into real-time insights that are used by the race strategists is a fascinating, fascinating concept. And you, you're dealing with individuals from a driving perspective who are taking those cars to the absolute limit. Um, and it's a, just a, a beautiful kind of synchronicity in terms of how that technology, how those machines and how those drivers sort of come together to, to create the results and outcomes that they do. Yeah. What, what, what I've, I've heard last uh, as well in, in this field was that, that it's really about the team effort. I mean, in, in, the, in the television, when you watch Formula One, it's a lot about the driver itself and how iconic they are. But and then maybe the, the the box team, which is on on the racetrack and supporting the driver. But there's most probably as well way more behind the scenes that's not so public, visible for like the normal fan that's just watching on TV. Exactly. I mean, the diehard fans are very much into the numbers, the you know the statistics. Hmm. And the performance and comparisons between the drivers, uh, the performance of the cars, you know, what speed are the drivers entering the corners and, and those comparative statistics. I think, you know, fundamentally, the way that motorsport is, is, is sort of heading is actually utilizing the data more to, to enhance the, uh, the fan experience, which can only be a good thing. We see it in tennis. We see it obviously in football, but we, you know, tennis and, uh, uh, having had first-hand experience of, of IBM at Wimbledon, it's an immense technological machine that sits behind the scenes to really focus on that enhanced fan experience and engagement. Yeah. Let's get a little bit into what you're doing today. Um, I've seen a post from, from you on social media where, where it was uh, someone who is called Sir Richard Branson talking about what you guys are doing. How, how does that come that he's talking about it? So we, we're 10 years old. What's called is a, a social enterprise that's 10 years old as of last November. Uh, and back in 2016, uh, Richard Branson and the Virgin Group became uh, an investor uh, and board advisor to, to Autocon. So that's really where the, the link comes from. And actually, from a personal perspective, um, my youngest son, is dyslexic. He's a little bit older now, but um, when he was younger, coming coming face to face with dyslexia, not necessarily from a, a physical perspective, uh, but but from an emotional perspective and how that affects an individual, um, that really got me on the path to really following Richard Branson from obviously a perspective of uh, dyslexia and the community that of, of successful people. And I started to, to get an interest in neurodiversity uh, as a whole. So I've really got Richard Branson to, th to 
to thank ultimately for where I am at the moment because um, if it wasn't for Richard Branson promoting Autocon and uh, you know he, he describes us as a, a trailblazer which is fantastic but I think it's again it's about pointing out the fact that neurodiversity is all about differences and whatever differences people have that that mix that blend really starts to to create something quite powerful now obviously in his case he's you know a very famous entrepreneur and a very successful entrepreneur but i think as you start scratching the surface of what what that means and what university is i think that that was very compelling for me and so to take some of the things that i've done in my career from a technology point of view and bring them to watercon to really help grow this business in a way that actually not only provides value to our clients but actually starts to make a positive impact um, socially and makes a real dent in arguably the stark uh, numbers associated with um, uh, employment and people with autism that's that was a, a very compelling proposition for me yeah to level the ground, let's go a little bit into definition so that the, the listeners get a little bit of understanding. So neurodiversity, what does it mean in a workforce context? So neurodiversity is really uh, a term that says that um, everyone varies in terms of neurocognitive ability. Everyone has talents, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. It's just that in some individuals, those strengths and weaknesses may be a little bit more pronounced. Um, neurodivergent people tend to find some things very easy and other things incredibly difficult. So this may lead to an inconsistent performance at school or at work, as I was saying a second ago. But really the, the term neurodiversity encompasses a range of neurodivergent conditions. So things like, ADHD, dyslexia, autism, dyspraxia, and dyscalculia. So that's the, the umbrella term. Yeah. So is it then including um, all the other topics like dyslexia and so on as well, not just autism? Correct, yeah. Yeah. But then go going back to the company, you're working specifically with people that have autism, right? That's correct, yeah. So I guess, you know, people with autism... They tend to display um, above average cognitive abilities in mm. some instances. So what we're not talking about here, Jens, is, is Rain Man. Rain Man was a great movie back in the 80s, you know, with, with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. And yeah. it did wonders for actually, you know, encouraging uh, people to, um, to get diagnosed for autism. But it's not the reality. The reality is, is much more that... Um, Adults with autism display uh, skills around uh, central coherence, attention to detail, accuracy, pattern matching, um, periods of sustained concentration. And these are all things that when you combine those with those individuals that have a particular interest, skill and academic background in things like IT and, and data science and cybersecurity, uh, analysis that's quite a potent combination and so the flip side is that quite often the the social skills may not be quite as uh, pronounced as um, I, don't, I hate using the term neurotypical but, but 
neurotypical people. So for that reason, they they tend not to perform as well in the typical recruitment process, which is why only 22% of autistic adults are in full-time employment. And that number actually includes those people that are underemployed, i.e. they're in roles that don't necessarily correlate to their experience or, or obviously reflect what they can and should be doing from a work perspective. Yeah. Do you, do you have a couple of examples? I think last time when we talked, um, you mentioned a couple of famous people, which people might recognize who have it as well. So uh, I guess the, one of the most famous right now is uh, Elon Musk, who came out uh, and disclosed his autism towards the end of last year. So uh, th there's a whole plethora of people, including Einstein, for example. Um, mm. So Einstein uh, and, and Elon Musk, I mean, they are the two technical geniuses <laughs> and mathematical geniuses of our time, arguably. So, but, but I think the, the term autism spectrum tends to, it tends to conjure up a, a kind of a, a, a linear, a, a linear model in, in people's mind. I, at one end, you will have someone that's maybe not that autistic and at the other end, someone that is very autistic. Now that's not the case. If you imagine uh, a circle rather than a, a linear uh, spectrum, so the circle would maybe contain some of the cognitive abilities that I mentioned a few moments ago. So error detection, pattern matching, but as well as, as, well as that, you know, we're looking at a, a scale from zero to 10 emanating from the center outwards. And if you were to join those plot or plot those uh, scores to get a spiky profile, and that's much more representative of what autism is compared to what it isn't in a linear, a linear fashion. But I think the key point actually ends is that if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, as, as there's a common phrase used in, in our spheres. And that's very true. And I think it's no different to, to everyone being unique in their own skills and their abilities and their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah. And then, so you, you said you have a, an IT consulting firm that's only um, employing people with autism. How is that different to a normal consulting firm that's also doing, doing like IT work and consultancy? So I guess aside from the, the social aspect of effectively creating long-term employment opportunities for those people that may not get a, a a chance and, and get a, an opportunity to really harness and fulfill their potential. We really act as that um, fear and risk mitigator because we kind of sit in the middle there, Jens, by working with our clients to say this isn't a big scary thing. We take them on the journey and we take away that fear and risk because there is fear and risk of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. So quite often it's easier to do nothing at all. So what we do is to, to really understand the culture and the content of the projects that our clients have so that we are effectively bringing in our consultants that have exceptional uh, academic uh, backgrounds in a lot of instances. But with that comes quite often very patchy career profiles because either you know they haven't found that, um, that company in their past that recognizes or, or or allows them to disclose their autism and if they do they don't necessarily have the tools to be able to support it and from there it's it's really a case of making sure that we understand what that person can and should be doing 
So we tend to, to really look at the technical ability, the academic ability, and the cognitive ability. Um, and we test for that. We test for cognitive skills. We test for technical skills. So combined with that spiky profile as well, so we understand what that person wants um, and what that person's career path is and who wouldn't want that going into a role, right? So, you know, by having an understanding of that, we never put our consultants in a situation where they're being interviewed by our clients. We stand behind our consultants and it's our responsibility because we understand the technical nature of the projects to make sure that we have that that absolute fit and we set everyone up for success. Now, is it a hundred percent success rate? No, of course it isn't. You know, we're in the real world, but it's a very, very high percentage of all our consultants that then go on uh, to be successful in that role, in that project. And that's again, where we, I guess, you know, to answer your point, where we differ, because all of our, all of our consultants have above average cognitive abilities, but it's, it's, also about showing that client and showing that team through effectively a lived experience that we can shift perceptions and change attitudes because they're they're working in a in a team environment in an agile way quite often um, with someone with autism and so we pair a job coach with the client and the consultant and that job coach is is not technical they're not project managers but they all have a background in clinical psychology so what that means is that they are able to support the consultant and they're able to support the client as well and to keep everything on track, open dialogue, open communication. And they, they effectively are the facilitators for both sides to find that groove um, and that cadence of good communication, good reporting and everything that you would naturally need to keep a project on track whilst being open about the minor and modest accommodations that the, those consultants may need. And when we talk about minor accommodations or modest adjustments, what we're really saying is that it can be as simple as publishing an agenda ahead of a call, um, knowing or setting the expectations of, of what is required of that individual. So I guess the unwritten rules of the office in many ways. So when, when our consultant is invited to a, a meeting or a call, what's expected of them is it to listen is it to challenge is it to present is it to, to question is it a combination of all those things because those are the things that an agenda won't necessarily tell you and it's not until you understand the di dynamics and maybe the hierarchy of the attendees that you really get a sense of of how to behave and those are the social elements from an autistic point of view that we we, we broker and we make sure that we really get to the bottom of all that stuff up front. Uh, when our consultants join a project, for example, uh, we we create a, a, a pack. So we really create a timetable for what, what that person's gonna be doing for the, for the first two, three, four weeks. If they're going into an office environment, where do they go, where do they sit? We do a, a workplace assessment so that we're not necessarily putting our consultants in an area with uh, high traffic volume or noise or bright light because along with autism comes hyper or hyposensitivities to light, sound, touch, for example. So it's making sure that we, we just reduce any aspect of potential anxiety. And I think, you know, we, we've all been in different environments where we started positions and however confident 
you know we might be it's still new it's still the first day at school where you don't know anyone and you don't know where the cafeteria is and all that kind of stuff and what we do is just remove that anxiety as, as a result of that yeah i can imagine it's a huge benefit because i mean it it sounds now that it's super super special but i would i would love to have the agenda of the meeting and understanding the things <laughs> before before you go into a meeting so i i think that's that's that everyone would benefit to to get more information and specific information so i can imagine that the the companies or your clients in the end they they will change and adapt as well their normal ways of working after all while they work with you and and that's that's exactly the point you know what we're trying to do is to you know turn that engagement not only into a success commercially but also into a, a a case study that really we can use to turn around to the organization and say look you know this is what we've been doing with our, our consultant this is the measured results but actually this is how the overall performance of the team has improved as a result you know by using clear unambiguous communication by doing all the things that we mentioned a moment or two ago and what we find is that the general performance of that team improves as a result and from that point on we can actually demonstrate significant results yes we're, we're still a small business albeit we're in nine countries and uh you know we've been around for 10 years but you know we're not the size of an amazon google or an ibm far from it Yeah. That's not to say we don't have grand ambitions, but we're never going to be able to truly scale our business off the back of consulting engagements ourselves. What we really want to do is to work with organizations in parallel to those consulting engagements to really help help them on that path to neuroinclusivity so that ultimately they can fly solo and they can actually uh, be confident that they have a culture internally of disclosure so that they can openly um, support and they have the tools to support those neurodiverse individuals. But actually, they're in a position where they can recruit or, or you know, attract, uh, recruit, retain and develop their own neurodiverse staff. But as you rightly say, Jens, you know, fundamentally, these are all things that benefit the individuals, benefit the organization, whether it have a neurodiversity lens or not. These are these are skills at a line management level that um, apply to everybody. You know, it's about ultimately empowering those line managers and HR and DNI teams to, to be empathetic, to be kinder and to promote that within the workplace. So just because you don't necessarily see a, a difference in someone, that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't one. But it's understanding what that is, what it looks like, and how to support it. That's the key. Yeah. I can imagine specifically for the leaders. Because leadership, at least in a lot of organizations, is still, from an educational perspective, is still neglected. The, the person that has performed best will get the next the, the, like leadership role. Most of the cases, it's still the case. And they haven't learned how do I be taking care of people and really engage with people from different backgrounds, different cultures. And I guess that specifically is something they will learn engaging with you 
the the person that has autism but then as well with the job coach who is most probably coaching them in the same way while while just working with them or while fulfilling the tasks absolutely i mean a lot of large organizations uh you know typically will promote on the basis of adding people management or line management to that individual uh, no one has necessarily taught them how to manage or how to be empathetic and even in a culture which you know may be you know particularly commercially driven is even more of a need maybe for for that empathy and that kindness and by actually using you know the tools that that we teach it's applicable for, for all managers to be better and for leaders to be better and so we, we you know we we target leadership teams um and the C-suite with some of our training because we can demonstrate the commercial benefit, but actually the cultural benefit as well, uh, which is becoming increasingly important uh, for companies from a CCR perspective and their outlook and how they're perceived in the wider world. Yeah, in, in the end, everyone would like to work with the best talents in the world. And if you don't have a culture inside of the organization that that people enjoy coming to work, um, it, it's not going to, to help on the long run. It, it, absolutely. And, and, and that's a key point, actually, Jens, because, you know, the best talent, uh, you know, comes in all different shapes and sizes, as we alluded to earlier. Yeah. And it's having that appreciation that, you know, we, we've often heard probably the, the phrase that, you know, that organization hires the the same or a particular type of person. Well, if you hire a particular type of person, you're going to get a particular type of results. Uh, and specifically in technology, that that is not conducive to a, an ongoing competitive or technical technological advantage. Yeah, I was just talking the other day to to a friend, and we 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 laughed about uh, a person that was in a very large um, organization in the leadership position that didn't fit to the company culture at that time but has delivered enormous results inside of the company. And then one of the top managers was saying, it's sad that we are not capable of enabling people who are not, not the way we all, all are to, to be successful in our business. This person left after delivering extreme success, changing a lot of things, which is impacting the business plus 10 years now. Um, and was just not fitting in. And I think it's very, very sad to see that. And I think, I mean, it's, it's more than 10 years ago, but I, if, if the leaders would be more open at that time and saying, hey, we need to die, we need to have diverse people and understand that in a different way, would be way more successful today. I'm pretty sure. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So how, how, can, how can maybe the listeners and companies um, learn this themselves so one thing is of course engaging with you um and and hiring you for for it consultant jobs but if you give a couple of tips and, and and ideas and things you have learned on the way what are small things companies could do so i think you know ultimately and and whilst we'd love everyone to engage to engage with us at the moment we are in the field of it so you know we don't necessarily you know, work with with large retailers who have huge you know staff numbers you know in, in the retail floor space and in stores um, 
and I think you know some of the things that can you, know, you can take from industry to industry and sector to sector really focuses around you know that awareness and acceptance and acceptance comes through education so I think you know it's it's really the job of um, the c-suite to embrace that that diversity now I think in terms of diversity you know the DNI leads or the you know the, the HR folks within organizations are very cognizant of, of gender and ethnicity but I think it's probably fair to say that neurodiversity has, has played a runner-up to that yeah. um, historically. That is changing, which is, is, is great to see, but it is that groundswell of awareness and education such that it's just about recognising something and being confident to take that first step. There are you know, a lot of organisations out there, the National Autistic Society, for example, that work with employers to really get them onto that path of understanding um, and I think it's about doing it's not a box ticking exercise it really isn't um, it's about uh, that lived experience and making that culture into it, it comes down to that culture of acceptance and the, the spin-off benefits are tremendous yens in terms of the effect that will have on existing employees and um, the tools that managers have to support not only neurodiverse staff, but all of their staff, all of their team members, whether they're going through personal circumstances, divorces, or just life challenges, that is, is what fosters a culture of loyalty and going above and beyond for your employer. And that's the, the kind of family type dynamic hmm. that if you, if you wind back the clock 100 years or so, that's how many of the big businesses started, you know, from that family, that family perspective. And I think that's not a bad thing to think about going back to a little bit. Yeah, 100% agree. What, what I really like, and we haven't underlined that maybe enough today, when we, when we talked last time in the preparation call, we talked about that it's, it's very, very competitive, your, your offer. So it's not that... Um, you can't compare yourself to the other consultants who do the same. So you're competitive from that perspective and prices most properly. But for me, it's even more important that the companies engaging with you and your colleagues, they will get the additional value you just talked about, which they most probably, I've worked in consultancy, don't get because it's it's a consultancy flying in, giving you a lot of tasks, um, sending to you a couple of things, trying to sell more and, and then leaving. And then in the end, the organization hasn't learned. And I think that's something which you bring on top as well, not just solving the problems that is IT related and, and moving things forward is as well the additional topics where you bring culture and change and adapt culture from a leadership perspective and engagement, which I really, really like. And that's for me, already the the social part though that you, of course you have w way more social parts exactly that and i think um from, from from our perspective what we what we don't do is is just parachute our consultants in uh and talk a whole kind of high level strategy we're doers our consultants are doers and so they have that technical expertise to physically engage, roll sleeves up, be a fundamental, you know, uh, member of that team. 
but by bringing that depth of academic experience or technical experience or or indeed just that different perspective a, a lot of our consultants are, are gamers uh, they consume technology in their spare time so they they have a voracious kind of interest in, in technology they you know we have internal um, communications groups uh, and and always sort of sharing ideas around technology it might be gaming but actually we have um, some of our consultants that are interested in subjects such as uh, electoral res res um, voting and result systems yeah. and the the analytics that sit behind that and so when you have people that are so passionate about their subject matter that's that, that spills over into their their projects and their and their working life and capabilities arguably maybe more so than um than others yeah that are just doing a nine-to-five job <laughs> exactly so cl closing closing the the discussion around this topic what what is the best way to reach out to you and and the company to if, if someone is interesting where where can they find out more about you so head to our website, uh, autocon.com. Uh, you can see more about us specifically in the UK, autocon.co.uk. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at steve.hill at autocon.co.uk. Uh, we also have a podcast, uh, which is about lived experiences. It's about stories. It's about bringing together um, experiences from our consultants, from our clients, but also people in different aspects of life not just it um so that podcast is called autocon in conversation autism in conversation with autocon uh it's available on all major platforms um so check that out it's something that you can listen to whilst running or in the car and actually it focuses on uh, neurodiversity in the workplace because i think that's our area of expertise it's how we how we bridge that gap yeah now we'll put the links as well into the show notes so everyone can click through straight away. So another topic, I would, who is Jenny Manny? Tell us more about her. <laughs> so th this is a, a project that's been uh, my, my kind of personal, part of my personal development for quite a few years now, Yen. So I mentioned earlier on that uh, my son was um, dyslexic and when he was younger, when, when he was first getting diagnosed uh, at a relatively young age, albeit he was at, um, he was at school, obviously I, I'm not, I don't have the equipment and, and tools or experience to be able to f help him physically with that, um, with the dyslexia and we got him help for that. But what I wanted to do was to try and help get over that that kind of anxiety that comes with it in the sense of you know approaching reading as a whole and we're not even really talking about having to stand up and read in class because that that goes away quite quickly but it's it's overcoming the anxiety of reading books not necessarily just for studying but for, but for pleasure as well so one of the, one of the things that I we just started doing was to think how can we how can we solve this problem and have fun at the same time. So we came up with some story ideas. He was very involved. We came up with characters that were based on family members, and it developed from there. 
So fast forward a few years later, um, because the last thing I really wanted to do, I, I, it was the hardest thing I ever thought, um, or it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, um, in terms of actually writing a book for full stop, but for kids it's even harder. So we turned those initial stories, we matured them, we put the, uh, uh, the story arts together and really created something that we thought would be entertaining and educational for kids in equal measure. And so Jenny is really the epitome and it's, it's all of the good things from our childhood. It's all of the kind of good bits from different characters that we all grew up um, loving, whether it be from TV programs or books or, or cartoons. And there's a bit of Jenny in all of us. And so it's about um, friendships. It's about peer relationships. It's about uh, teamwork. It's, it's all of that type of stuff. But it's about encouraging kids to go and do stuff and try stuff. And so what we ended up doing was turning those initial kind of ideas into at the moment we have um, uh, one live audio book recorded by or narrated by Gemma Whelan, who's uh, Yara Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. She's been in The Crown. She's been in various UK TV series. Um, 23,000 words, just over two hours story, really to, to unfold the characters. We're giving a bunch of stories away in the next couple of months really to help and, and to provide some value to our audience and to get kids into the joy of storytelling and consuming stories and being inspired by the soft learning objectives that we build into those stories. But it also, in equal measure, is, is aimed at parents. It's about trying to reframe what success is um, so that kids don't grow up um, thinking that, they can only be successful and success is predicated by exam results only. And so that is something, that's a message that we are building into how we communicate through our social media blogs, uh, our, our kind of thought leadership perspectives uh, and our ambassadors to parents such that success isn't then later in life determined by financial success uh, and status. It's about finding finding what your passion is in life and it's about trying things it's about viewing life as a bit of a tasting menu you're not going to know what you want to do unless you've tried a few things um and failed along the way and reframing as i say what success means because it's far better to be happy uh, ultimately doing what you're doing um and having had the you know the good fortune to find that happiness and being supported um, by your, you know, your your parents, your caregivers, your you know, extended family, as you've grown up, um, and that's the message that we're really trying to uh, to get out there. Yeah, it it it's fascinating. I've never heard about it before, and when you sent me the link last last time when we talked, I I digged into it and shared the 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 figures or the the cartoons it's not cartoons how do you call that like the visuals at least as well to my daughter which is uh, getting to be five soon and she was like oh my god that's a cool book i want to have it and i said it's in english it's not in german <laughs> but we will get there um yeah it's it's a fascinating way of seeing it and, and it's I think if I read it right there, there there was like a saying that you say it's not just a book it's a philosophy 
Can you give a little bit more meat on that? Exactly. And I think, you know, there's lots of aspects to that. But I think, again, it's about and this is where my my kind of personal um, kind of passion and my my kind of day job kind of absolutely overlap because, you know, it, it really is about promoting empathy and kindness and, and not demonizing technology. Um, you know, it's about trying to prepare our kids for being digitally responsible and being digital natives, but at the same time being able to go out and do things with full support of their parents um, and not being sort of cocooned or being demonized mm-hmm. for consuming uh, via a tablet or a phone. You know, you and I, when we were growing up, we, we probably overconsumed via other methods in terms of TV screens or, or you know, video yeah. games. And it's the same message, but different, uh, you know, d- different example every time. So I think it's, it's really about encouraging kids to fail, but trying and what learnings come from that failure make you the, the, the kind of person that you are. Um, but it is, it is without sounding too... Uh, too overly pragmatic but you know we only have one one life and so to to be channeled into education university and a job that you hate makes no sense to me um and coming back to you know my own experience of starting my own business and, and wanting to do other things fantastic let's let's do it i could have fallen flat on my backside yens and arguably you could say i have but i've had such fun doing it i've met some great people had the opportunity to work with amazing people um and i can look back and think i haven't really had any regrets and the things that haven't quite gone to plan have led to other opportunities who i never thought when i first um found out my son was dyslexic and he was diagnosed that that we would be able to look back and have a whole journey that's been created as, as a result um and, and I just think examples like that should be spoken about and the conventional way of parents measuring the success of their kids does need to be reframed. Yeah, I, I really like the website and, and I can highly encourage everyone to have a look at it. So it was jennymany.com, right? That's it. So, and that's G-E-N-N-Y-M-A-N-Y dot com for everyone who wants to go straight to, to it. J-E-N-N-Y-M-A-N-Y dot com. Yeah, yeah that's, that was the German pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I will put it into, into the show notes as well for everyone. Definitely have a look. It's fascinating. And you don't need to have kids to, to have a look at it. It's, it's, it's a super well done website. So... Really appreciated appreciated it to to have a look at it and browse through it. Thank you, and, you, and your daughter can actually uh, leave Jenny a voicemail on the website as well, and uh, she will get a customized response back. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've tried the game myself. <laughs> <laughs> so be, be, before we end our conversation, I have a couple of questions that I'm asking every guest. That is a little bit disconnected from what we have discussed until now. Maybe it is connected in your case. Question number one is, if you could work with a project, either leading it or being part of it, that is impacting every human being on Earth, what project would you like to work with and why? 
So we, we haven't rehearsed this yet, and it sounds like we have because and I'm not leaning on a, on a super easy answer um, at all. But, but I think what I'm doing in my day job actually fulfills that criteria because I think if, if we can, you know, if we can actually spread the message that there is no difference between any of us, we're all, we're all different, we're all unique, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. Um, and because maybe someone doesn't adhere to our, uh, our, our idea of what a person should be or should look like or what they should be good at, if we can change that narrative, that would be amazing because I think there are too many biases, prejudices in the world. And I think if we can, if we can strip that right back, everyone would be a lot kinder to everyone else and there'd be more empathy and we would all get on a lot better, which sounds totally ideological. But I think, you know, there's got to be people out there that will want the same thing. Yeah, agree. What advice would you give to a young innovator that's just getting started in their career? Just just go and do it. Just go and do whatever it is that you that you want to get done. Find a way to, to do it. Bring people on, on your journey if you possibly can. You know, it's execute, don't theorize, um, because that journey alone, even if you know, there are some misfires or, or, you know, some hurdles will, will create a slightly maybe different outcome, but it makes the journey a whole lot more exciting than if you don't execute and theorize. Yeah. Can't agree more. It's so hard to fit into the corporate structures and, and into the parties and instead of kind of trying to figure it out. And if you're young, you should definitely should do it. I agree. <laughs> we got, you've got nothing to lose. Even yeah. if you have full starts until you're 30, there's yeah. still plenty of time. Even 40s, ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. L last question. Where can people find you and how can people contact you? So you can find Autocon at autocon.com uh, and in the UK, autocon.co.uk. Feel free to reach out to me at steve.hill at autocon.co.uk. Uh, and for those interested in, uh, in, in kids' books and stories and the whole philosophy, uh, check out jennymenny.com. Super. Steve, thank you very much for spending the time with me and having a fantastic chat. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. An absolute pleasure for me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.